Thanks to the two Johnnies, it's Tuesday the 29th of November and you're listening to Game On. Group A of the World Cup Finals have concluded, concluded even, with the Netherlands topping the group and Senegal going through in second place. Alan Cawley and Mark Langdon will join us to review that and look ahead to tonight's games in Group B where England play Wales and Iran take on the USA. Shane Horan of Kilmacud Croaks will be with us to look ahead to the club's big day on Sunday where they are represented in both the Leinster Senior Finals against Ballyhale Shamrocks and the Downs dual player Brian Shee facing a hectic Sunday afternoon. And ahead of Honeysuckle's return to the track on Sunday in the Hatton's Grace Hurdle for the, her final year of action, Rachel Blackmore will join us to look ahead to the new challenges she faces and back over the superstar mayor's career so far. All of that and possibly somewhat more between now and 7 o'clock if you want to get in touch you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On Game On on 2FM well, Dave, have you been enjoying the World Cup so far? It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself this morning when there was no 10 o'clock game on. Um, I think a lot of people were probably in a similar position. But, uh, yeah, no more 10 a.m. games to look forward to. But uh, I suppose we are now getting into the uh, the business end of the, the, the group stages and uh, obviously two games uh, this afternoon and uh, two more to look forward to tonight. Yeah, it'll be good stuff again tonight, although phew, not sure Wales are going to give England much of a game looking at them last week. But this afternoon, it was interesting. Alan Cawley joins us in studio as well. Alan, I suppose the Dutch were always favourites to go through, but Senegal and Ecuador, what did you make of that one? Evening, Ruby. Um, I was actually surprised by the outcome of this one, Ruby, because what we've seen so far in the group is that Ecuador, before the games today, I actually thought were the best team in the group based on the two games they had pre- played previously. Um, they obviously beat Qatar quite comfortably on the opening day, but they put in a brilliant performance against the Netherlands on the second day out, and they ended up drawing one all, and they were really unlucky not to win that. So they went into the game today firm favourites for me because I had watched Senegal in both games and I was so disappointed I thought they were dreadful against the Netherlands and they were very very poor despite winning against Qatar as well so Ecuador were the favourites for me Ruby but I think the fact that they went into the game with a point ahead in the group the approach completely changed from what we've seen in the previous games because the two games where they showed so much ambition and energy and kind of uh, almost thrown caution to the wind against the Netherlands and Qatar they just sat back and retreated today and they were almost comfort- sitting back thinking we only need a draw and when that happens and when you go in with that mindset you're always going to get caught out and once they went the goal behind they had to change that and come out and chase the game and it was only then that they started playing a bit they got a fairly fluky goal to get back into it to be fair from a corner and you're thinking 20 minutes to go to my kick on now but then they conceded not long after I think it was only a couple of minutes later again to Senegal so I was surprised by the outcome I was surprised that Senegal beat Ecuador and went through and I was very very disappointed with the approach of Ecuador Yeah we can uh, have a listen to uh, that Senegal win today uh, described now by John Kenny Golden chance then for Ismail Saar to give Senegal the lead from this penalty it's Saar against Galendes. Oh, rolls it in beautifully. And Senegal take the lead. Saar gets the penalty, converts it in the 44th minute. And ice cool. It's Senegal 1, Ecuador 0. So, can Ecuador get anything out of this corner? They've gone towards the near post. Oh, they certainly have. Caicedo lurking at the back post has got a goal that they barely deserve. 
Well, it's come from a set piece. Senegal switched off, and Moses Ciedo gets his third goal in the 68th minute, and they thank the heavens. They're back in it. It's 1-1. For the first time really in the game, we've seen the Ecuadorian fans on their feet and the singing and the dancing has momentarily stopped from the indomitable Lions supporters. But they have this free, Patricia Gay standing over it, a bit of pushing and shoving going on there. Sisson Valencia looking for the first attempt of the second half and they got it! There's a goal and it's Kunabani! And suddenly this game has sprung into life! With two goals in the space of two minutes, both from dead ball situations, it's his first ever goal for Senegal. The perfect response, Senegal back at the lead 2-1. Alan, Senegal now play the winners of uh, England's group, uh, likely to be England. Mm. Is that the end of the road for Senegal, do you think? Oh, I would think so, chance? Dave. I think England were the big winners today um, before they've even kicked the ball because you're looking ahead in the tournament. And I know you shouldn't look too far ahead, but obviously these teams are looking at maybe who they might face in the second round. And I think they would have absolutely kind of been very concerned and worried about Ecuador. Had we seen the Ecuador of the past two games, I think they would have given England a real game. Um, but now with Senegal, that it looks like they will face. And I don't think they will hold any fears for, for a strong England team, to be fair. Mark Langdon, football correspondent with the Racing Post, joins us. Mark, what do you think in terms of uh, what we've seen from Senegal so far? Um, are you surprised they've, they've got to the last 16? Uh, yeah, I am surprised, actually. I thought that um, going into the game, that Ecuador had played better in, in their two matches than what Senegal um, had in, in, you know, that they'd obviously played the same teams and um, I do wonder if the occasion just got to Ecuador, uh, you know, a little bit. They played so well against the Dutch on, um, it's hard, hard to think what the day it was. I think it was Friday, wasn't it? Um, you know, when, when they completely sort of outplayed the Dutch and were so physical, um, but never really got to grips with the game, I didn't think, in, uh, in, in against Senegal, who, who definitely deserved um, to go through. Obviously, missing Mane... <laughs> I mean, it's obvious to say that, but it is, you know, it is a big loss for them. Um, Idrissa Gay is also suspended. So I, I think that whoever gets to play um, Senegal in the last 16 will be confident that they can beat them. I mean, they've obviously still got some quality players. It's Mela Sarr plays in the Championship, but should be in the Premier League. Um, you've got Koulibaly at the back and Mendy in goal. So it's not, it's, it's not a really weak team, but I, I think once you get to the last 16 of the World Cup, it's a team that you would, you know, if you're one of the fancied runners, it's a team you would expect um, you know, to, to be able to overcome. Alan, it was the start of what's basically knockout football. And obviously Ecuador played not to lose instead of trying to play to win. How many more teams will fall into that trap? Yeah, that remains to be seen, Ruby, and you've described it absolutely 100% because in the two games previous, they went out and went after the game, showed so much energy, showed so much physicality, as Mark said, even against the Dutch, fair enough to beat a, a poor Qatar team, but against the Dutch, they totally outplayed them, even despite the fact that they fell a goal down. So I think that's what came against them today. The fact that they were one point ahead of Senegal going into the match, they felt the draw was enough. As you says, they played not to lose. And when you go into any game with that mindset or trying to play for a draw, we often see it in games, you always come unstuck. And I felt that was the, the problem for them because when they're at their best is when they're up and at the game, uh, showing that energy, so, showing that physicality. And it just was lacking today. And it was only when they fell a goal behind um, in the second half to show a bit of urgency. Obviously, trying to get back into the game the goal 
I don't even know if they deserve the goal it was fluky enough coming from the corner Caicedo but you think at that stage you get a break and we'll go on and, and carry that momentum into the last 20 minutes and, and kick on and win the game but then they conceded not long after so I was so disappointed with them Ruby today because I felt after the two games we had watched they were one of the dangerous teams and one of the teams the outside teams that possibly could spring a surprise in the knockout rounds but now they're going home on the plane and they've only themselves to blame Mark the Dutch obviously beat the weakest team in the competition the host Qatar they were poor against Senegal we've all known that but their next game it'll be either most likely Iran I think will anyone fear the Dutch I mean they're such a footballing nation but right now will any whoever's a runner up in the English group are they going to fear the Dutch no, no, they, they they won't. I mean, the Dutch were one of the teams that I fancied to go very well at the start of the tournament. I mean, they're through, they're still unbeaten. They've got what looks a nice draw in the last 16 on paper. But um, no, this is not, um, a, a, at the moment, at least a Netherlands team that needs to be feared. Um, you know, it, it's in terms of, sort of the, the media back in the country, not happy with the way the team is playing, wants to see them, um, I suppose, more progressive, really, um, with the ball, I suppose, more in um, keeping with what we've, sort of come to know and love really from, from Dutch teams right back from, from the 1970s this one is, is nothing like that but Louis van Gaal keeps on pointing to the I think it's now 19 games unbeaten um, certainly coming up towards 20 games unbeaten they're not giving up that many chances in their matches um, it's a team obviously plays with five at the back and it is five at the back more often than not rather than a three and it, it, you know it's a solid you've got Van Dijk and you've got Ake and you've got Timber who plays for Ajax that is a you know it's not going to be easy to beat them um, but they, they just don't look like winning games at the moment they're just relying on the brilliance of the youngster Gakpo who's scored the opening goal in all three matches so far um, but you know much tougher tests are set to come if not in the last 16 then certainly by the time they get to the quarterfinals if they do get through the last 16 and at the moment you look at like how some of the teams Brazil and Spain and teams like that are playing and you know the, the, the Dutch are nowhere near that level at the moment well, Van Dijk's form for Liverpool has probably been questionable and maybe it's one of the biggest issues Liverpool have at the moment has he shown you anything at the World Cup to suggest he's booked the trend? I think he's played well Ruby in the, in the three games now obviously today was a lot easier for them against Qatar but I think he has played well because the issue I suppose with the Netherlands is is that they're not firing on all cylinders in terms of their attacking approach but the defence has been very good as Mark said they played with a back five I covered the game against Senegal and they never really were in trouble but the game was kind of drifting along going nowhere until Gakpo popped up with that goal in the 84th minute but defensively they looked sound Ruby and he did play well to be fair to him Van Dijk I think it was more the same because it was a more rear guard action against Ecuador because Ecuador did throw an awful lot at them um, they had they dominated for large spells in that game and it was only because they had a sound defence the Netherlands that they didn't lose that game and he's obviously at the heart of that so I think to be fair to him there was a lot of question marks coming into the tournament but from what I've seen of him in the three games so far um, he's played very well and also I think sometimes you can look at these games as well and teams they can almost kind of find form as the tournament is going on so even though I've been majorly disappointed with them coming into the tournament um, the Netherlands in the group stages that we've seen 
who knows now you get into the knocker round you could find your form obviously Gakbo is in really score, good goal scoring form Memphis Depay has a lot more minutes under his belt and he started the game today he's crucial for them as well so if you do have that sound kind of foundation to build from and you have a couple of lads firing up front they could spring a surprise but I, I, I would be shocked if they went on to, to get to a semi-final or a final because in the group stages so far they haven't been one of the teams that have caught my eye and uh, as you say, I suppose no real surprise that the, the Dutch won the group today with that uh, victory over Qatar. We can hear now how they did it, described by Des Curran. Shoulder for Memphis. Well, he goes. Klaassen, Gakpo. It's opened up here. Cody Gakpo scores again. Three and three for Cody Gakpo. And into that elite group of Dutchmen he goes. Johan Nieskens, Dennis Bergkamp, Wesley Schneider. And now Cody Gakpo to score in three straight World Cup games. Linz inside to De Jong. Makes it away to Klaassen. Nine white shirts in and around their own penalty area. Trying to stem the flow here. Klaassen swings it in. It will come to Memphis. Point blank save on the follow-up. Frankie De Jong. Second half goal for the Netherlands and just a second for the national team for Frankie Dio. Mark, when you look at previous Dutch teams that have gone to World Cups, uh, you think of some of the great sides, absolutely star-studded, so many uh, you know legends of the game, and um, you know they got to a final obviously uh, before, got, got to the final way back in 1974 as well, that fantastic total football team. But you look at this Dutch squad, and it, it doesn't have those um, absolute superstars in it, bar maybe one or two, Van Dijk being an, an obvious exception. I'm just wondering, in terms of the uh, the expectation level in the Netherlands, what what do you think it is for this tournament? Well, I think going into the tournament, they were pretty confident of you know, sort of quarterfinal semi-finals because of the form that they're in. Um, you know, they they did well in the Nations League. Now, the team that they beat home and away in the Nations League were Belgium, and that that form's not working out particularly well at the moment because Belgium have been even worse than them um, and could be going out of the competition. So maybe they were sort of led down a false path, really, into how good they were. I think that since kind of the performances, uh, you know, there's been a bit of backtracking um, really just in terms of, of, of what the expectations are because it looks like they'll get a favourable um, draw in the last 16. I, I still think their supporters will expect to reach the quarterfinals. Um, and, you know, they, 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 they'd probably be underdogs against England, but would expect to beat um, anybody else if um, if they do, um, sort of, as it goes, expected, I suppose, in tonight's uh, matches. So that, that, that would be the aim. I think they just need really, to, if they're to go on and maybe surprise, they just need Memphis to get fully fit. He's he's kind of working his way into the tournament at the moment, but he, you know he's one of the few players that you mentioned about a lack of stars. He's somebody that can elevate their play in the final third and uh, they've basically been playing without him so far. You know, he's just, just about sort of probably ready to start a, a game now. One advantage I think the Netherlands have got is that it's a very quick turnaround in matches in terms of this World Cup. And I don't think they've been out of sort of first or second gear so far. They've, they've barely put a sprint in in any of their three games. Now, maybe they're, they're just one pace and that's all they've got. Or, or maybe Van Gaal realised that this was quite a comfortable group and they've been holding something back. I think the Dutch supporters will be hoping it's the latter and that uh, you know, once they get to games where they, they actually need to step it up, that there's a lot more to come. 
There is 42 minutes to kick off in the Group B games and we will look ahead to those later in the show when we have team news. But Alan, looking at the games thus far, why is it the majority of them are being won by the team that doesn't have the ball? Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting, Ruby. You gave me the stat on it, and I was quite surprised by that. But the one thing that has struck me about the game so far, particularly with the the surprise packages and the surprise results, they've played with such an energy. And like you look at teams around all around the world now, I suppose the standard of coaching across the board now, you have no real weaker nations as such in what we used to see years ago, where there would be whipping boys. I know Costa Rica were well beaten by Spain, but that's more an exception now, um, especially at a World Cup. And you look at the games; they've been fairly evenly matched. A lot of them in the groups because I do think the level of coaching around the world has improved so much um, and you look at the teams another thing in terms of the fitness levels of the players and the conditioning of the players that can be a level or two for teams that are really kind of um, energetic you look at Saudi Arabia against Argentina obviously Argentina have superior players we all know that but the energy levels that Saudi Arabia played with they just couldn't live with them Argentina because they, they overpowered them and overran them and we've seen that in a couple of games Iran and Wales as well uh, Japan against Germany that was another case in point in the second half Japan just totally overpowered and overran them so I think that can be a level or also so it's interesting as you say like there's so much focus on stats now in terms of possession keeping the ball playing out from the back but the only stat that ever matter in a football match Ruby is the scoreline uh, and once you get the goal uh, it's it's up to obviously holding on to the goal holding on to a lead managing it seeing it out and I think it's good for the tournament that we've seen a couple of surprise results as well and that's why I was so disappointed with Ecuador because they were certainly a team that caught my eye that could have potentially went on to cause an upset in the knockout stages I don't think Senegal are that team at all from the games that I've seen I was so disappointed with them and I'm shocked they've gone through Mark you've put a thought in my head you've kind of alluded to the fact that Van Gaal could be minding his players thus far have you thought the same about anybody else? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm giving. First of all, maybe I've been giving uh, Van Gaal uh, too much credit. Um, I think that England uh, against USA certainly didn't play at full throttle in in, in that match and. You do wonder whether some of those players are just managing their, their work. I mean, you know, I, I think he's a. I, I'm not sure it's the right call to play Harry Kane again um, th- this evening for for the, the game against Wales. But he was somebody that you know wasn't running around. I don't think at absolute full pace. So I think that, um, you you could put that one down uh, towards England as as maybe doing that. Um, I, I think that France will do it now in their next game because they're already. Um, through so that they they can relax, and I think also Spain against Germany, they'll maybe live to regret not kind of knocking them out of the competition because um, you know you I think when you get that opportunity, you you need to take it to 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 really sort of knock out one of the teams that might be able to beat you in the knockout stage, and I would also say that Brazil have been playing within themselves. They've been playing for moments more than anything. They've been controlling games, but they haven't been sort of running after the ball and harrying opponents, for, you know, when, when they've not had it. They've been, they, they really see it as we're here for, for seven matches and we'll, we'll, we'll knock them down one by one and sort of slowly grow into the tournament. And so I, I would say that Brazil certainly looked to me to be that kind of team that's um, not been sprinting, um, you know, too, too often so far. Can I just, 
just jump in there, Ruby. I think Mark yeah. has given Louis Van Gaal far too much credit there because they're well, not good was, enough. He was bound to say England were tapping it around the last. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're not good enough to pick and choose their moments when when to go out, especially in a World Cup. To say, oh well, we won't turn up today and we just go through the motions. I don't think anyone can do that really, especially in your opening two games. I think you only get away with that if you get the points on the board, like Mark said, with a France, and then you can rest a couple of players because you're already through and you've topped the group. Brazil. To a lesser extent, I, I would agree maybe that against Switzerland they were totally in control and totally dominant. Um, but certainly not Holland or the Netherlands from from the games. And I covered the two of them. They were absolutely dreadful in the two games. And I didn't see the one today. I only saw the goals because I was watching Ecuador. But they're not good enough to, to do that and pick and choose the moments. And, and it's you'd want to be a serious team to be able to do that as well and pick and choose your moments when you play because you can't turn it on and off. Like Brazil, France and Spain written down here and see what price I can get to them to get to a semi-final. But we're going to take a quick break. Rachel Blackmore will join us after these. Game on on 2FM. It's honeysuckle coming down towards the second last with a growing advantage over Ronald Pump. And then Saldir and Abercadabra staying on, but it's only for place money. Honeysuckle with a commanding lead coming to the final flight in the barwonracing.com Hatton's Grace Hurdle. It's Honeysuckle and Rachel Blackmore on the unbeaten champion hurdlers safely over. They took their time. Ronald Pump is in second and then Abercadabra. Honeysuckle and Rachel Blackmore. They're a remarkable combination, season in, season out, three Hatton's Grace hurdles. And on Sunday afternoon, round about 2.30, Honeysucker will bid to win a fourth Hatton's Grace hurdle in what will be her fourth last start of her career. Rachel Blackmore, who has partnered her in the 16 wins so far, joins us on the line. Rachel, are you looking forward to trying to make it 17? Yeah, very much so, Ruby. Um, you'd always just love writing something like her. And uh, yeah, I wish I could kind of fast forward the next few days now, to be honest. I feel like it's going to be a long week waiting for half two on Sunday. Do you get nervous? I do. We all do. What, what, what are your nerves? That you won't win, that you'll make a mistake, that the opposition are better? What makes you nervous? I suppose... Um, you know, so much work goes into these horses. Uh, you know, from Henry training to Davy Roach, the head lads, to Coleman who rides her out. Like everyone, kind of plays their part. And I suppose you're just hoping that you do your part. And you know, my job is to ride her on the day and not do anything to to interfere with, with, with what she does best. So, yeah, look, you're just you're just hoping that you get your end of the bargain done right. And uh, yeah, like for her as well, for all of us. I just, you know, you're hoping that she can keep keep doing it. When do the nerves go for you? They go for different people at different times. When do they go? Is in when do they start or when do they stop? Well, when will they stop? Sorry, go, um, leave you. <laughs> when do they leave you? When you when the bell goes in the parade ring and you finally get to get up and you don't have to talk to anyone anymore and you can. You know, you can just go out and ride your race then and, you know, you're occupied, you're focusing on getting down to the start, getting your position, so your mind is occupied and you're you're just riding your race then, to be honest. You, you, you know, champion hurdle, maiden hurdle around Clomel, you know, you're, you're trying to just focus on the job at hand and, you know, you're looking for the same outcome in both places. She has an incredible record at Ferry House. I only noticed it today when I was looking it up that she's won there so often. 16 wins, seven of them have been there. When she won a maiden hurdle back in 2018, November 2018, did you think, God, this is a bit different or did she take her time to, to grow on you? 
Yeah, like, you know, she was obviously always very well-liked. You know, she was a very impressive point-to-point winner. Um, So she was always very well-liked, but, like, I'd love to say I got off her that day and said, Henry, champion hurdles, this is is the one. But definitely I didn't, you know. Um, She kind of, she just kept progressing, I suppose, and, uh, you know, kept just kept delivering and kept improving. And, I mean, the job that Henry has done with her, to, to allow her to do that and, you know, to nurture her along, I suppose, is, is pretty incredible. Look, she's had many super days and probably winning a champion hurdle is a great moment. But what to you has been her best performance? Yeah, I know. Um, it's hard to... It's hard to... She, like, she's, she's a mayor that has put up some unbelievable performances in getting us both out of trouble when when maybe, you know, we were... It hasn't we were happened too often now. Yeah, we were we were headed up the last one day in in Leopardstown, and and she she got back up again. So she just seems to seems to always pull it out of the bag. Um, like the Hatton's Grace last year, um, definitely is one that that has a a strong standout in my head, just for the fact that we got such an amazing reception, um, and there was such a great atmosphere that day, and you know there was. So many well wishers there, and you know, I suppose she she was after joining a list now of of greats who had won three. So you know, that was a fantastic day. It was an incredible day. Look, obviously, we all watched what happened in Newcastle last Saturday with Constitution Hill and how emphatic he was. There's a little bit of you think. I can't wait to take him on. I can't understand why people aren't giving my mare more respect. Or do you just think what'll be will be? Yeah, I, do you know what? I don't even think about it now, to be honest. Um, like, he, he, he was incredibly impressive. Anyone that, I think anyone watching in general, even if they didn't know anything about horse racing, w- would have found that an impressive performance. Um, but, like, it's just not something I can be getting worried about now. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge at some stage. By the sounds of you have enough to worry about between now and Sunday as it is. Looking at the Hatton's Grace, Rachel, is there anything in there? Do you think mm, new opposition, possibly classical dream, maybe, or do you think I'm just riding the best horse? Yeah, look, you always have to have to look at them all. Like these are Grade One races, Grade One winners in there. Um, you know, a, a lot of there's a lot of talent across the field. Um, but yeah, look, I think I think I just have to to ride her to her best attributes and um, you know hopefully that's good enough on the day Rachel um, I'm interested to know because you had so much success over the last kind of 18 months two years and riding these brilliant horses and obviously the expectation is heightened so much on you but you're quite shy and unassuming character but now that there is so much expectation does that get any easier to handle or um, as I say is it still much the same as what it was because you are quite quiet and unassuming Probably not that quite and that unassuming all the time. But <laughs> well, I'm um, waiting for Ruby to tell me all the stories. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose like the the more success you have, the more uh, expectation is on your shoulders. But like that's part of it, you know. You kind of you wouldn't swap not having that success to, to not have that expectation. So yeah, I suppose I just try not to to get too wrapped up in it um, and and just try and you know take things day by day week by week you know I'm not, I'm not thinking about Cheltenham at the moment I'm thinking about you know we used to go to Turles on Thursday first and you know we're racing there and you know we Saturday and then we are on the Sunday so yeah I suppose I try not to get too wrapped up in it all 
And you have Taurus on Thursday, and you have Tell Me Something Girl on Thursday. You looking forward to her? Yeah, very much so, yeah. So she's heading over fences, and so really looking forward to her now. And uh, yeah, hopefully she can get the <coughs> Kenny Alexander colours off to a good start for the week. And it could be a big weekend, because obviously Saturday is at Tingle Creek. You ride the 4 3 a winner, Captain Guinness. And with ground conditions, that could turn into a winnable contest. Definitely, um, he was he was really really good in in Navin, um, and you know he ran really good race in in, in the Tingle Creek last year where he was third. Um, so yeah, look, you know, depending on on all the other horses that turn up, but I guarantee you he'll be going there with his best foot forward. He's in great order, and he's definitely one I wouldn't be um, overlooking. You're going to be honest now and tell us you hope it's a dry week and that Shishkin and Edberstone don't turn up. I mean, ideally, that would just be fantastic, but sure luck. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Rachel, can I just ask you, as uh, somebody who's uh, not really um, that well-versed on racing, so very uh, uninitiated in terms of um, you know the, the, the qualities that go into uh, what makes a horse great, can you just describe to me what, what is it about Honeysuckle, um, just, just the qualities that the horse possesses? Yeah, I suppose she's just got an incredible engine um, for starters, you know what I mean, and if only you could uh, you could look under that there when they're going around the sales ring. Um, but, you know, different people are able to pick out things in different horses that might uh, equate to that. Um, but, you know, she's she's just of a different different league. She's a fantastic engine, but a massive heart and, and a will to win. And she just ticks, ticks a lot of boxes. And, you know, she's she's a beautiful athlete as well. Um, so, yeah, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of different attributes that, that these horses have. And every time you partner her, you must have a huge amount of confidence. I'm not saying that you feel the race is, is won before the race has started, but, you know, you must have huge confidence every time um, you partner her. Yeah, well, look, if, if I didn't have confidence in her, uh, I don't think I could have confidence in any, in any horse because, you know, she, she's always got us over the line in front. Um, so, yeah, look, you are very confident, but you're you're very aware of, of the standard of horses that are around you as well, and no, like it's it's horse racing, and you have to be, um, you know, you you always have to bring your A game. There's, there's no easy race one. Well, this week, this season, even is her fifth year as a racehorse, and that's an incredible attribute to her. She's unbelievably sound. And Rachel Blackmore, I hope you enjoy the pleasure of pressure this Sunday afternoon. Thanks a million for taking our call, Dave. We'll take another break. Game on, GAA. Now, the AIB GAA All-Ireland Club Championships features some of the toughest players from communities all across Ireland, and it's these very communities that make these championships unique. We're joined now by Shane Horan of Kilmacud Croaks, ahead of the 2022 AIB Leinster Club Football Final, which takes place on Sunday at Croke Park, where Croaks are going head-to-head with the Downs of Westmeath. You're very welcome along, Shane. Um, how are the uh, preparations going for this big game? Um, obviously we're into a routine of a game every two weeks so you've kind of a, a down week and then uh, or sorry an intense week and then a kind of down week leading into the game so um, no, well set heading to training soon so all good and of course not just a big game for the a big day I should say for the footballers but also for the hurlers of Kilmacud yeah no it's great um, obviously I was in there on Sunday watching them so no, it's great to see them progressing as well obviously they would have um been unfortunate last year and, and could probably beat by a better team in, in Clark Balacala in their 
semi or quarter final last year. So no, it's great to see them going as well. So uh, everyone in the club is excited. Obviously, Kilmacudda, a huge club, a huge catchment area. Um, I think it's five thousand members, something like that. Um, what's the, the the key to the uh, the su- success of, of obviously so many kids involved in the club, but translating all those kids' involvement into success for the uh, for the hurlers and footballers, and of course the the ladies' team won the uh, the Leinster title as well. Yeah, no, it's to be honest, it's, I know people say super club and all that stuff, but it's the same. As any club, you have, you have great volunteers, parents, coaches that um, that, that keep everyone going um, and, and playing that sport across all the codes. Obviously, I wouldn't want the job of trying to organise the nursery or anything like that with the kid, with the numbers. But um, no, we're just, we're the same as any kind of GA club in, in that regard. And obviously, we all kind of pitch in with some of the younger teams, a bit of coaching here and there. And um, yeah, no, there's, a, there's a great community spirit to it all. But Shane, like there's lots of clubs in Dublin, but years the figures are just just incredible. I mean, seven hundred volunteer members, two thousand nine hundred playing members. Like even Nafina only have two thousand six hundred. Why do they have more teams that don't have as many players? You speak like the advertisement for this is community. Like this is an incredible advertisement for community. Yeah, um, I suppose obviously for myself and most of the lads who would have got involved in the nursery when we were probably six, six, seven. Um, I would have tried to hurl myself as well and you try to do the boats for as long as you can but I fell away from that and did a bit of soccer on the side but no I think it's it's uh, obviously half of it is playing sport and half of it is the, the friendships and all that kind of stuff so I think it's well managed in that regard and you have you, you have friends for life kind of thing so everyone everyone sticks at it and to be fair we don't have many pitches and things like that ourselves so we make use of what's around be it um, local rugby clubs or uh, uh, UCD if we can so there's um, we, we try to squeeze as much out of it as we can and keep everyone involved Like it's funny to think that when you turn up in, in Crow Park on Sunday especially for the hurling match Kilmacud Crokes they have 170 odd playing members versus year 2,900 even the support you should have versus them like it, it's amazing how the GEA can be so different and two clubs end up in the same place Yeah um, again I think it comes back to when you've uh, I'm not speaking for the Dan, but when you've when you have any team and you have a good group of players together, good management, um, you can really kick it on. And, and I think obviously we we know the challenge that, that's coming around the corner, but that they're very similar to us, and that you've very competitive lads playing there. Um, things have come well for them this year as well. So it's um, yeah, it boils down to the same ingredients at the end of the day. And the ingredients are management. What are your managers doing that other managers aren't? Going to give away a few secrets, right? No. No, there's not much to it to be honest I think they know we've a, we've a, a lot of players there who've been um, who are experienced be it wins or losses so I think they kind of leave the, the players to um, to have input to a point and then they kind of guide us as well so um, I suppose everyone has everyone has input and if, if we're going off field or we're going into tangents they kind of direct us back to, to the basics and obviously focusing on, on, on uh, negating the strengths of the other teams we play and then uh, try exploit their weaknesses with what we do so it's kind of a 50-50 split that way Look last year was a great year for you you beat um, Nace in the Leinster final which was just up the road to me then you went to the All-Ireland final and unfortunately in extra time Kilku uh, got the better of you there I was listening to you earlier where you said you, you learn from mistakes well not learn from mistakes learn from your losses what did you learn from losing? Um Probably that we need to kind of, so it's a bit of a cliche, but concentrate for the full 60, 65 minutes. Um, obviously, we were beaten by a very good Kilku team, and 
probably thought we'd done enough and, and maybe switched off slightly and got caught um, both for the game to go to extra time and then in extra time obviously so I, I think we just kind of know what to do in scenarios and again that, that comes from experience being in the positions and, and we've kind of been able to do that and, and manage games out well so we just we just have to make that continue When you look at the Downs on Sunday afternoon what do you think their strongest attribute is? Yeah they're again when we went back to the club after our game um, there's a lot of people that got in for the second half of that match against Red Holton said it was a, a very intense game and obviously we've done video ourselves this week so look they're a very athletic side um, some great forwards um, aggressive tacklers forced turnovers and I think Croke Park suited them getting getting up and down um, the athletes that they do have so I suppose we'll just have to combat that and, and do our own stuff as well Shane just on the the, the Croke Park factor obviously you know you guys are used to playing in Croke Park and um, you know maybe less so for the opposition how, how big a factor is that do you think? I don't think it's, it's it's that big to be honest. Like the couple of games we had there last year, and even even this year, um, when you're on the pitch, it's it's it is just another pitch. To be honest, obviously it, it is a little bit wider. And you need to get your your spacing right and things like that. But it's it's not too different. Like when I went in on Sunday to watch the hurlers, when you're in the stand watching it, you're a bit more in awe of it. But on the pitch, it's just it's just the same four sides. Um, and then for the downs, obviously for their first game, the last it's probably a bit of a bit of additional adrenaline for them that probably suited their style of play of um, getting up and down the pitch and, and the athletes that they are so hopefully we'll just have to kind of uh, minimise their impact and kind of try and um, dictate the momentum of the game ourselves Will you get to watch much of the hurling final just before yours? I don't I don't think so to be honest like as, a, as a club man it would be great to be out watching them for the full thing but I don't think we'll, we'll change our schedule we'll stick to what we do probably arrive at at half time in that game might stick the head out for a couple of minutes but um, no we've we've a big job to do so we'll just be focused on that Shane you obviously played for Offaly yourself and when I look at the numbers of people playing in Dublin ultimately only 15 can play for the Dubs do you think there will come a time where more players will do what you did you went to play for Offaly where your parents were from could you see more kids in Dublin following that road into inter-county football um, yeah I suppose if anyone asks me, obviously I've, I've only good things to say. Um, I really enjoy playing and offering the, the exposure to inter-county football. Um, great people, great fans, great facilities. So to be involved in an inter-county setup was was definitely a great experience. So I, I definitely would um, rate it if, if anyone asked me. Uh, on that, it, it's tough to know. Like some people might be satisfied with the competitive nature of, of the club, uh, especially in Dublin Championship, is very competitive, and that might satisfy some people. Um, the split season probably makes it a little bit more um, possible to to commit to one, and then and then you're back in with the other one fully. So, um, I, I could see more people doing it, and I, I definitely um, suggest they do. On Sunday could be a massive day for Kim McCrow Crokes. We wish you all the best, and thanks a million for taking our call. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. Now let's go back to the World Cup. Of course, we. Uh spoken about the games from earlier today two more uh, group games tonight including England and Wales and uh, obviously it's a huge ask Wales have to win this game have to win it by uh, four goals um, to be uh, depending on the, the other result in the uh, Iran-USA game of course but they have to win the game full stop can you see them doing it Alan? No <laughs> Sorry to be so short Dave and I'd love to tell you that they, they are going to win or put up some sort of showing where they could score two or three but I can't see it happening they've been so poor in the in the group game so far 
it's un, it's it's tough ask for the likes of Bale who's played so little football such a brilliant player but you, again go back to my point I was making earlier about the Netherlands same for an individual you can't turn it on and off no matter how good you are uh, he just hasn't played enough football Ramsey struggled in the game something similar for him and I'm just looking at the team lineup. he's named them both of them there was question marks maybe around would he drop Ramsey but he was always going to remain loyal to Ramsey because he's been such a great player for them Joe Allen in the team Dan James and you're looking at like you mentioned that need to score four where the goal is going to come from Dan James has come into the team a bit of legs and energy on the wing but I think he lacks quality in the final third Kiefer Moore big physical presence did quite well in the first game when he came on did very well um, and he's on, the only real outlet you think in terms of where a goal could come from from possibly a set piece as well with Bale or from a corner so I just can't see them getting the job done I think England will be comfortable and they've made four changes themselves um, Dave he's, he's kind of fallen down he's bowed down to the pressure Southgate a little bit and Foden comes into the team there was a big clamour for him I think he should be in the team anyway but he's dropped Bakaya Sacco I would have left him in the team I think Bakaya Sacco is a brilliant player having a great season but he's dropped uh, Sterling Sterling hasn't been great he's also left out Kieran Trippier which was a bit, a bit of a surprise Trippier's had a good season but he's brought Kyle, Kyle Walker into the team and Jordan Henderson so they're very very strong on paper England I know they had a disappointing game the other night against the USA but I can't see them having too much trouble with Wales Just to clarify uh, Wales win by four or more goals would guarantee them a place in the last 16 but a win over England coupled with a favourable uh, result in the other game would be enough but that they have to win the game and, and from I don't even see them regardless of the goal situation yeah. I can't even see them winning the game Dave Yeah, yeah. Alan what is the full English team? So the full English team, the same, the back four, he's gone with a four as well, Ruby, it looks like. So Shaw, Maguire, John Stones and Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker was only was always going to come back into the team. Declan Rice and Henderson, Bellingham uh, as well is still in the team and I think that's a wise move. He's a brilliant player. And Foden comes in on the left, Rashford on the right and Harry Kane up front. So strong England team. You could argue it's stronger than the team to play it against the USA. I, I like the look of that team. Sticking with the fours, that surprising to you? Not against Wales, Ruby, no. I think it's when he comes up against the likes of a Spain or a Germany or uh, Brazil, France, I think that's when he'll revert back to type. But I think in this group, I think he's quite comfortable in the belief that they have enough, even with a back four. Uh, despite USA causing them a lot of trouble the other night, but against Wales, I don't think... I just don't think Wales have the legs and energy in the team anymore and people are going back to obviously the last Euros and but that was six years ago was it when they played in the Euro 2016 and um, and and when they had the energy and when they had those brilliant performances that carried them so far but ba the likes of Bale and Ramsey they're six years on now and I just don't think they have the players around uh, to carry them and carry a fight against England I know people say well it's a British kind of derby and they'll revert back to that kind of uh, almost slogging it type style but England have too much quality for I might be shocked if England were caused trouble tonight by Wales. Just on Bale, um, he's been such a fantastic servant for Wales, almost single-handedly winning so many big, big games down the years. When you look at him now, is it just that too many miles on the clock? Yeah, or not enough miles on the clock, Dave. No, but in terms of his age... I and, know, but I mean, not enough not enough miles in the sense he hasn't played, played enough football. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's almost like he's he's kind of... Undercooked. Been in, yeah, he's been in that comfort zone for almost two seasons now because he kind of obviously went through the troubles at Real Madrid. And I'm his biggest fan. I think Bale gets a hard press at times because when you think of him going over as a British export to Real Madrid and so few have done that, and he was an, an, a roaring success, scoring goals in Champions League finals, Copa del Rey finals, winning league titles and I know it ended quite sad for him over there but and I, I'm his biggest fan but I just think in the last 18 months two years as you say he hasn't played enough football uh, he's in the MLS now obviously and he was 
probably minding himself he's not too bothered about that he was minding himself for this tournament but I just don't think you can come into a, a tournament of this stature in particular and just flick it on like a switch um, and we've seen that with a few of the older ones as well and I just as I say I, I do love Bale but he's carried that team for so long and at some point I suppose it just comes against you Can you say and be said maybe of can't believe I'm saying this Harry Kane as well well the last words you said there was I can't believe I'm saying this and there's a reason why you said I can't believe I'm saying this Rue because he's another one gets an awful hard time Harry Kane and even he played great against Iran then because he didn't play so well against um, the USA I was seeing Alan Shearer saying oh he should be dropped and he, he needs a rest and all this stuff but he's another one he's absolutely phenomenal Harry Kane now you could argue in terms of the, the question you asked Dave about the miles on the clock I think he's played an awful lot of football even at Spurs every game every week every minute Conte plays him and the amount of games that we've played since the summer as well so that could be a case in point with him but I'd never leave Kane out he's their main man I think he's absolutely phenomenal and it's no surprise to see him in the team tonight Mark just looking ahead at the other game um, obviously a lot of the focus is on uh, England Wales but uh, Iran and the USA obviously still with uh, a lot to play for as well yeah absolutely I mean um, you know barring something sort of you know, crazy in in the Welsh game. I think that you know they're both looking at this. Um, you know, w- with only eyes on on their own match. USA, um, you know, win and they, they sit that they're through. Um, and and they will be. Iran are, are playing for a point uh, because that um, almost certainly will be and um, you know good enough for them. And um, yeah, USA against Iran is never only going to be about what happens on uh, the football pitch we've already um, you know been to war of words um, in the press conferences I think this is going to be um, a spicy game and I you know Iran bounce back so well from the, the humbling defeat against England uh, a lot of the focus was on how bad Wales played in, in that game that Iran won 2-0 but um, you know Iran fully deserved to beat them they hit the post a couple of times they created chances and the, the, they're fr- it's a really interesting game because USA's quality is in midfield with Tyler Adams and uh, McKenney who plays for Juventus but Iran up front with, with Taremi and Asmoon, have uh, got two players that are capable are capable of scoring goals at the highest level. Taremi's done it in the Champions League. Asmoon also has played Champions League before, so I think that's the the really interesting battle. You look at the USA sort of forward line. Obviously, Pulisic's a dangerous player, but Josh Sargent of Norwich leads their attack. So. It looks a pretty close game um, to me. Iran have got the quality, I think, in sort of terms of scoring goals. USA have got that energy about them and also the extra quality in midfield. So um, a, a really tight one, I'm expecting. I know different games, different teams, different days, but Iran looked like they were happy to get a draw or try and get a draw against England. They got beaten 6-2, whereas when they went that Wales, they won 2-0, two, they won two nil, wasn't it? What it was they going to say yeah, it was... Uh, I think Carlos Quiroz has, throughout his career as a as a coach, has always um, been one of those that you know. That's uh, the you know if we keep a clean sheet, the worst thing that can happen is we draw nil nil. And he's not you know Kevin Keegan type manager that's going to go after games. He's you mentioned earlier on talking about uh, teams that have possession of the ball. Iran um, don't want it most of the time. <laughs> they they actually prefer it if the, the other team have got the ball and they just get everybody behind it and then look to spring counter-attacks. Carlos Kiros is, is just you know, he's way too old now to be changing his attitude to, to, to the best way um, he sees it to 
I was going to say win a football match, but it's to not lose a football match. And I totally agree that um, you know, teams do look better um, quite often when they, they play with less fear. Um, but you know, Kiros will, will think that the best way for Iran to qualify is to play um, very defensively. At some stage, US have to you know, pile men forward because they need to win, and that's when we'll hurt them on the counter-attack. The next World Cup is obviously the USA, Canada and Mexico. Alan, do all of those get in for free or do they have to qualify? <laughs> uh, I think they'll have to... Well, they're already talking about bringing 48 teams. So if they go the 48 teams route, I think they'll all get in free, Ruby. So it depends on that decision. And I think that's the come, which is going to be a ridiculous... 48 uh, teams. It, yeah, that's what they're talking about yeah. for the next World Cup, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think like, the one good thing about that is... Uh, well, one of the good things about that 48-team format gives is... Gives us when a it, chance. Well, there is that. <laughs> well, uh, there's only going to be another three European places. I think it's going to go from 13 to 16 European places. But when it gets to the last... 32 it's straight knockout I think that's what they're talking about okay, so it's okay. 48 teams and then I still don't think like you remember the Euros even when we got there in 88 and there was only 8 teams and obviously we went up to the cream of the crop with the 16 I think it's 24 you, now and there is that suggestion you remember that, Euro 88 like it was yesterday <laughs> I do remember that's where it all started that's where it all started Van Basten Ronnie Whelan shinned it in <laughs> but um I don't like the idea of the 48 teams, but to answer your question about them, I'd say they will get in if that's the case. But um, I think with the game tonight, I think Iran are playing with so much kind of uh, pressure on their shoulders in terms of what's going on back home. And I think they've carried themselves really well in that. And obviously we've seen the singing of the anthem, the non-singing of the anthem. And they're playing with so much determination and pride for their country. I think they could actually get through tonight. Now, it'd be interesting to see, going back to the point we were making earlier about Ecuador only needing a point and completely changing their approach. That's the only fear I have for Iran. If they try and go out and just play, as you says, not to lose, well, then that's when they'll come unstuck. But if they go out and play with the energy to play it against Wales, I think that'll bode well for them. Mark, give us a scoreline in England-Welsh game. 2-0 uh, to England, I would say. Alan, you can have the USA and Iran. 2-1 Iran. 2-1 around 2-0 and 2-1 mm. good odds on that for anyone wanting to get it. have an investment or have an interest in tonight's games Mark Langdon and Alan Cawley thank you so much for taking our calls and being with us tonight Dave Kelly thank you too Better De Silva is up next and Marie Crow will be back tomorrow night RTE 2FM